Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the weekly podcast, The Unchangeable Truth. This week, Pastor Stephen looks at Romans chapter 9, verses 4 through 18, and he titles it, Trying to Understand the God Who Saves. So thank you for listening. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to Romans 9. Romans 9. We're studying verse by verse the book of Romans. It is a series that we've entitled a life transformation. And so today we are coming to Romans chapter 9, verse 4. And we are going to go this morning all the way through verse 18, if you guys can handle it. Now, the first service can handle it. So hopefully you guys will be able to as well. Uh, I'll just say this before we even get started. There is so much in the Bible that I do not understand. But I do not have to understand it in order for me to believe it. That God calls us to be people of faith. And so clearly, there's no way this little finite mind can understand all the infinite ways of God. Uh, a lot of times I feel like a, uh, this little five-year-old boy that was in Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher was teaching them about uh, the beginning of time and God created Adam and God said it was good. And then all of a sudden God's like, you know, I, I, I really don't want Adam to be alone. I want him to have a, a, a helper, a, a helpmate, somebody to compliment him. And so he, uh, God took a rib from Adam. Now, like the old country preacher used to say, he took a spare rib and he turned it into a prime rib. Can I get a witness from our men this morning? All right, I caught you by surprise. Guys, listen to me. I've just thrown you a softball. Let's try that again, men. God took a spare rib and he turned it into a prime rib. There you go. All right. All right. Try to help you guys out as much as I can. And so, you know, about how God he was in class. They were talking about how God caused Adam to go into a sleep, and God took the rib, and out of the rib, he made Eve. And so the little boy went home, and he was outside playing and running and doing what he always did. And uh, all of a sudden, he comes running into the house. He finds his mom, and he's huffing and puffing. He's holding his side, and he's like, oh, mama, mama, my side is hurting so much. I think I may be having a wife. I feel like that sometimes in meaning I don't understand. I don't understand everything there is to understand in the Bible, but we can still accept it by faith. Romans chapter 9, many people feel is a very difficult passage, an obscure passage, a sticky passage of Scripture. Again, I don't claim to understand it, I claim to believe it. Uh, and again, you knew who would be preaching it when you showed up this morning. So clearly, I'm going to preach what I believe God has revealed to me as I've studied it. But let's make it very clear. There's not a one of us in this room that knows all that needs to be known. Now, Romans 9 through 11, Romans 9 through 11 are basically talking about the nation of Israel. That God is not through with Israel yet. 
For many, many years, Bible theologians and commentators and pastors and preachers, they got confused because there was no nation of Israel. And so what we're going to study today, they thought, was merely symbolic in nature. Yet you and I are living in the fulfillment right now of Bible prophecy because God has restored the nation of Israel. It is all part of his promise. So now when we read this, we can understand exactly what he is or who he is talking about. Now, here's what I want us to do today. We're going to look at three statements about salvation as we kind of slowly work our way down this passage of Scripture. Now, here's the first statement about salvation this morning. Salvation does not hang on your family tree. Salvation does not hang on your family tree. If you were here last week, you know in the first three verses of Romans chapter 9, Paul is so burdened, he is so broken. The Bible says that he is even, he is upset, he is weeping, he has even said, I would forfeit my own salvation if it meant these people could be saved. And then verse 4 tells us who he's talking about. He's talking about the Israelites. Look with me in 9, verse 4. And again, we'll just kind of work our way through this. Verse 9, it says, who are Israelites? Again, uh, verses 1 through 3, this is who he's upset about. To whom pertain the adoption, the glory. Right now, he's given us the main advantage of the Israelites. The adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers, the fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. And by the way, if you have a Mormon friend or a Jehovah's Witness friend that says to you that nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God, well, right here in black and white, Christ who is over all the eternally blessed God. He is God. Now, here's what the scriptures just said. The Messiah, Jesus, came from Israel. Jesus was a Jew. So since Jesus was a Jew, the question is, why do more Jews not believe in Jesus? Have the promises of God, have they failed? Continue reading, verse 6. But it is not that the world, uh, the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son." And so if you know anything about the Jews, the Jews think that they are in right standing with God because they trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham. 
They think that they are right with God. They think that they are, uh, you know, that there's no condemnation for their sin, that they are in good standing with God, again, because they go all the way back, and their great-great-great-granddaddy is traced all the way back to Abraham. Now, in case you don't know the story of Abraham, let's review just a little bit. When Abraham was 75 years old, God appeared to him, and God said, I'm going to give you many descendants. I'm going to give you so many descendants, it's going to be more than the stars in the sky. It's going to be more than the grains of sand on the seashore. That's how many descendants that you're going to have. The problem is, he didn't even have a kid. And so he goes to his wife, Sarah, and he says, hey, listen, God has said that we're going to have a child. And Sarah's like, oh, great. And then they waited, and nothing happened. And then they waited, and some time goes by, and one day, by this time, I don't know, probably Abraham, 80, 85 years of age, and Sarah comes to him, and she says, uh, honey, do you, do you remember how God has promised us that we're going to have a child? And he's like, yeah, I remember that. And she says, well, you know, uh, we're not getting any younger. And he's like, that's right, that's right. We're not any spring chicken. She said, well, I've been thinking maybe God needs a little help with working out his plan. Do you know folks still do that today? They think that they need to help God. Hear me, God does not need our help. God is perfectly, perfectly fine accomplishing his promise. And so she says, well, I've got this young handmaiden by the name of Hagar. Now, we always think Hagar the horrible. Hagar was probably a pretty young handmaiden. And Abraham, I've got this plan. Maybe you could go in and maybe you could sleep with her and you could have a child with her. And Abraham's like, well, I mean, if you insist, dear, I mean, I, I'll go ahead and, and I'll do that. And so they tried to help God out. But instead, they were making a mess. Because a child was born to Hagar through Abraham named Ishmael. The whole mess that we still have today in the Middle East is because the Palestinians trace their heritage back to Abraham through Ishmael. And the Israelites trace their heritage back to Abraham through Isaac. And so there is this one big family feud. Think about how the hundreds of thousands of people that have died and all the blood that has been shed because Abraham and Sarah thought they needed to help out God. So later on, when they're almost 100 years old, Sarah's expecting, and she gives birth to a son named Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. Ishmael is the son of Abraham. And what the Bible has said is, God said, I'm going to choose to trace the lineage through Isaac and Isaac alone. So we go to John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, you have these Jews tracing that lineage through Isaac back to Abraham, again saying, oh, what? you know what? We are in right standing with God because of the blood that courses through our veins. And so in John chapter 8, they ask Jesus in the flesh, hey, listen, we know who our daddy is. Who's your daddy? 
We've got a word for it now. They had a word for it then. Everybody knew that Joseph was not Jesus' daddy. We know that we're children of Abraham. Who is your daddy? And then Jesus said, well, good for you. Abraham saw my dad, and he was glad when he saw me. And they said, wait just a minute. You're not even 50 years old yet. And you say that old Abraham knew you. And then Jesus said, hey, before Abraham was, I am. A title that is reserved for God and God alone. And the Israelites picked up stones and they sought to kill Jesus Christ. And so they were there and they were saying, we are right with God because of our heritage, because of our lineage, because of who our forefathers were. We're right with God. I remind you that your salvation does not hang on your family tree. It is not who your mother is. It is not who your father is. It is not who your grandfather was. It is not who your grandmother was. I've talked to folks, and whenever I'm having a spiritual conversation, I'll say this. I'll say, hey, hey, tell me about your spiritual condition. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And through the years, I've had folks, and here's how they answer that question. They'll sit there, and they'll want to talk about their relatives. And they'll say, well, my daddy was a preacher. My granddaddy was a preacher. Yeah, yeah, my granddaddy, he's the one that started that church out there. You know, uh, New Heaven number nine, he started that one. And my mama, my mama played the piano out there for almost 20 years. And my daddy, my daddy was a deacon in that church. And they want to sit there and they want to focus on past heritage. And they want to think that that automatically is going to make them in right standing with God. Listen to me, friends. Being born in a garage does not make you a car, nor does being born in a bakery make you a biscuit. Being born to a Christian family does not make you Christian. It is a personal relationship with with Jesus Christ. Do you know God personally? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Salvation does not hang on your family tree. Salvation hangs on the tree of Jesus Christ that he died on. And you must come to a personal relationship with him. Nobody can get saved for you. I've made this clear many times. If I could make the decision for you to be saved, you'd all be saved. But then there's a second statement about salvation that I think we see in Romans 9. Salvation originates in the very heart of God. Look look there with me in verse 10 where we left off. He says in verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said of her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And you're thinking, how in the world can the Bible say 
Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. I think there's a couple of things that we need to understand in order to interpret this in the correct context. First of all, basically he's quoting what Malachi 1 says. And in Malachi 1, he's not talking to individuals. God's not. He's talking to nations. Because the descendants from Esau, they formed the nation of Edom. They were the Edomites. The Edomites were always against the Israelites. And so in Malachi chapter 1, God is saying there, I have chosen Israel and I'm not for Edom. I prefer Israel over Eden. Edom. There's also the word hated there. Pretty strong. Yet it's the very same word that we see over in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus said, you cannot follow me unless you hate your father and mother, you hate your brother and sister. Now, was Jesus saying you're to hate your family in order to follow Christ. No, that's not what he was saying. What he is saying is this. He is saying that I am to come before everyone. I, he, talking about him, the relationship that you have with Christ is to be of the utmost importance. It is to be above everyone else. You prefer me over everybody else. Else. And so what happens is sometimes folks will read this passage of Scripture and naturally they struggle. They struggle between this idea, uh, this idea of our free choice to choose salvation and of God's choice of us. Which one is it? Do we have free will when it comes to salvation? Or has God already predetermined who will be saved? Which one is it? Yes. Yes. That's the answer. Before you and I ever chose God, he chose us. We see an example here. The example is that of Jacob and Isaac. Rebecca was married to Isaac. Uh, and our, Rebecca was not married to Isaac. Yes, she was. She was married to Isaac. Jacob and Esau. She was married to Isaac and she was pregnant with twins. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the first one, Esau, that before he was born, God had already said, hey, listen, Rebecca, I'm going to do things a little different. I'm going to do something that is not according to culture. I'm going to do something that is not according to custom. I know the oldest one, Esau, the oldest one is the one that normally receives the birthright, receives all of the, uh, the leadership and is in charge of everything. But instead, instead, I am going to choose the younger one to rule over the older one. And then these two boys were born. The first one was red. He had a lot of hair. They named him Esau, which means hairy. He had hair all over his body. Some of you could be named Esau today. The hairy one. The second son was born. He was a twin, remember? He grabbed the heel of the first one as he was coming out. And so they named him Jacob uh, in a Hebrew, Jacob which means the grabber. So Esau, the hairy one. Jacob, the grabber. 
Now again, culture and custom indicated Esau would be the one to have the blessing and the birthright because he's the firstborn. But God had already decided, no, I am not going to choose Esau for the blessing. I'm going to choose Jacob. And Jacob is this deceptive, he is this crooked kind of guy. You study his life, Jacob spent his entire life grabbing for this and grabbing for that. He was always grabbing for anything that would give him an advantage. And so he was grabbing over here and he was grabbing over there. But God said, no, I'm going to choose to use even the grabber. And I was having a conversation with someone in our church not long ago. And here's what they said. They said, you know what, Pastor? I really stumble and I really struggle over the passage of Scripture where it says, Esau I've hated and Jacob I've loved. And I'm like, well, that's natural. Most people do. And he said, no, no, no. I don't struggle over where it says Esau I've hated. I struggle over where it says Jacob I have loved. Because Jacob was rotten. He was sinful. Here is God, and, and, and how could God use somebody like Jacob who was a grabber? And here's what I said. How could God use someone like you and I who are sinful? How could God use somebody like us who are selfish and sinful people who grab for all that we can get, right? They say that we get all we can, we can all we get, and then we sit on the can. That's what we do in our society today. God took a grabber, Jacob, and he changed his name to Israel, which means Prince of God. God changed a grabber into a Prince of God. That is the very same God that can change all of us who are selfish and sinful creatures uh, into, into children of God. And how does he do it? He does it by his gracious heart. Here's what I'm saying. That salvation was not plan B. That salvation was in the very heart of God. It originated from the very gracious heart of God. If you were to ask me today, when did your salvation start? I would say, okay, well, my conversion was September the 13th, 1979. And I'd be wrong. That's not when my salvation began. I've got to go back further than that. Further than that. You say, okay, then salvation began on the uh, blood-drenched slopes of Mount Calvary when Jesus died on the cross. No, we got to go back further than that. Salvation began, it started before God ever even littered the stars out into the sky. It started before the very beginning of time. You say, how do you know that? I'm not going to take your word for it. By all means, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Listen to what the Bible says, that in the heart and the mind of God, before there was ever even a light or a planet or a universe, here's what he did. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. In Ephesians 1 4, it says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's when it happened. 
Before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. You say, why did he do that? Why did God save me? Why did God originate this salvation? Why did God do that? And this, I love, I love, this thrills my heart at the end part of this verse. What does it say? According to the good pleasure of his will. Do you know why God saved you? If you're saved today, it brought him great pleasure. Before the very foundation of the world, salvation was his plan. That if you're in the family of God, that if you are, we'll use Paul's phrase, in Christ today, before you ever said, I will choose God, God chose you. You say, now, pastor, I don't understand this. I don't get this. This seems contrary to what you normally say. Hang on. Some of you clapping may be saying, oh, me in a minute. Because we read this, we're like, well, I don't get this. How do I resolve this? How do, how do I resolve when it comes to my free will? Where does my free will come into this? It seems as though that you're taking my free will completely away from me. Now, understand, this is nothing between you and I. This is between you and what God's word says, Okay. It sounds like it's already a fixed deal. You're taking my free will away from me. Sounds like that God is already predetermined ahead of time, beforehand, who's going to be saved. Well, let me help you understand it. Romans 9 is written from two different perspectives. The first perspective is in heaven looking over God's shoulder. It's a done deal. And then you get over to Romans chapter 10. And Romans chapter 10, we're not looking at it from heaven's perspective. Now we're looking at it from earth's perspective. You'll get into Romans 10. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord God shall be saved. That if you believe with all your heart and you confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. It's looking at it from two different perspectives. I heard somebody one time describe it this way. They said, it's like this. Before you come to Christ, you look at a doorway, and Jesus said, I am the door. Above that door, there is a sign that says, whosoever will may come. And you say, well, I'm whomsoever, and I need to be saved. I need my sins forgiven. I need Jesus Christ. And you walk through that door, and when you get to the other side of that door, all of a sudden, you look at it, and there's a sign above it that says, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Charles Spurgeon, some of you guys read him. Somebody once said this to Charles Spurgeon. How can you reconcile the doctrine of free choice and the doctrine of the sovereign choice and election of God? And here's what Charles Spurgeon said. I don't need to reconcile friends because those two doctrines are not contrary. They're just different sides of the very same coin. 
And the illustration that I used several weeks ago is still true today. You can go out to the airport. You can purchase a ticket to get on an airplane. You can choose what seat you're going to sit in. You get on that plane. Your name is on a manifest. You're on a reservation list. You get on that plane. You can choose, am I going to sleep or am I going to talk? Or maybe you're wanting to sleep and you're beside somebody who's choosing to talk. You know what I'm talking about? You can choose, am I going to drink something? And what am I going to drink? You can choose. Am I going to read a book or am I going to watch a movie? You can choose just like we're choosing right now. But I'm telling you, once you get on that plane, once you get on that plane and once they shut the door, you can't sit there as you take off and say, you know what? I'm choosing to go to Orlando because the plane's going where? Atlanta. We all know that. In the sky, it's already predetermined. This is where the plane's going. You can be in the sky and you can say, you know what, I think I'm going to go to New York City. You can say it all day, you're going to Atlanta. It's already predetermined. If you're in Christ, your destination is predetermined. We say, it's heaven, isn't it? No, no. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, you have been predestined, what? To be conformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. We throw that terminology predestined around as if God has chosen to save some and he has chosen to damn others. It's not even what the word means. It means when you're in Christ, he has said, all right, now you're on the plane. I'm predestining you into the very image of Jesus. If you would sit there today and if you just said this, if you say, well, he's not making me more like Jesus, then I would sit there and say, I don't think you're on the plane. So salvation originates in the heart of God. Salvation does not hang on your family tree. Statement number three, and this will resolve everything. Salvation is beyond our comprehension. <laughs> it is beyond our comprehension. Some of you are sitting there and you're like, but pastor, this doesn't make sense to me. I would have to sit there and say, if all of us are not making that statement, then we think a little bit too much of ourselves. This doesn't make sense to me. Do you know the reason why this does not make sense? Because you and I do not have enough sense for God's sense to make sense. Look there with me, Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? Is there, an, it's almost like Paul's like, you know, this may be a problem. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. We know that to be true. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. I don't have any trouble with the first part of verse 18. I struggle with the last part of that verse. Dr. J. Fildo Baxter said this. 
the most troubling verse in all the Bible is God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and he will harden whom he hardens. And the example given is that of whom? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. If you don't know the story of Pharaoh, I think you can buy on your TV, rent, whatever, the Prince of Egypt. And if you can't find a copy, I got a DVD at my house. You'll just have to find your own DVD player. You know the story of Moses. God sends Moses to Pharaoh. And Moses says, hey, hey, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, I don't think so. No, that's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, God sends 10 plagues. See, a lot of times folks will read what we've just read here and they're like, look, look, it makes it very clear, verbatim, that there are some people that God has hardened their hearts, that there is no way that they can be saved, that there is no way that they can be right with God. God has hardened their hearts. Example, Pharaoh. Well, go back and reread the story. After plague number one, you know what the scripture says? Pharaoh hardened his own heart. After plague number two, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. After plague number three, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It is not until after the sixth plague where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Listen to me. God just brought out what was already there. That is the nature of God's grace. That is the very nature of God's mercy. It's the equivalent of the rain that we got this week. Thank God for the rain, right? And it helped us with all these fires and stuff. Thank God for the rain. But you know what? Rain brings beautiful flowers. You know what else rain brings? Especially if you live in Southport. Weeds. Weeds. You don't blame the rain for the weeds, do you? The rain simply exposes and reveals that the weeds were already there. And so the very grace and the very mercy of God does not harden anybody's heart. It just reveals the hardness that is already there. You say, well, I don't really understand what you're saying. I'll explain it this way. It's amazing to me that folks can come to a gospel service like this and we can sing how, how, how our God reigns and we can sing, man, I've seen you move some mountains and I believe that you'll do it again. We can see this young lady publicly professing Christ as Lord and Savior through baptism. And they'll sit there and all of a sudden the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, by the way, do you know the Holy Spirit still convicts today? The convicting power of the Holy Spirit will fall on them and they'll be broken hearted and, they'll, and they'll, they'll turn to Christ and they'll get things right in their life with Christ while some of you will come to this same service where we sang the same songs, we saw the same things, and you're just sitting there thinking about the basketball game later today. Thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. Mm. And they have no, absolutely no sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. How can that happen? God has mercy. 
on whom he will have mercy, and he hardens whom he will harden. You say, Pastor, you're going to have to explain this deal to me because I'm getting more and more confused by the moment. Here we go. You ready for this? I thought deep and hard about this statement, and this will help you not only in Romans 9, but this will help you in salvation. This will help you in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Now, this is a pretty powerful statement, so get your pens. Maybe the most powerful statement that God has ever given me. Are you ready to write this down? God is so awesome, your brain can't contain his total plan. Boom. Mic drop. Let's go home. You can't understand it. You can't understand it. If you think that lo and behold, little low you in 2022, that you're finally going to figure out his plan, and some of the most intellectual people down through history have not been able to figure it out, don't. If you figure out Romans 9, you qualify for the fourth person of the Trinity. And last time I checked, there was no vacancy. He's God. We're not God. Do you think there's something about the character and the nature of God that we don't understand? Absolutely. There's something about the character and the nature of God that we will never even comprehend. You ever found yourself working on your laptop before or maybe even working on your phone and some some of you guys, you're like, I don't even know how to turn my phone off. We know. (laughs) You've been working on it before and all of a sudden it just freezes up. If you're like me, I'm like, turn it off, turn it off. It won't even let me turn it off. Turn it off, turn it off. Laptop, I'll unplug it. And it still won't go off. You know, used to with your phones, you could pull the battery off. And now I have to go to one of these young guns around here that we pay to do stuff like that. And they figure it out and they won't even tell me how they've done it. (laughs) We've all been there before working on our laptop. It locks up. That's what happens to you and I when we try to think about the greatness and the mercy and the grace of God. Our little human computer just locks up. We run out of memory space. Church, there's something about God called his holiness. There's something about God called his transcendence, which we will never, ever understand. But don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. Listen to what God said in Isaiah chapter 55. In Isaiah 55 verse 8, look at what he says. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Well, thank God for that. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. So here is the problem. Here is God thinking, right? God's thinking up here, and God is working up here. And here are you and I, and we're thinking down here, and we're working down here, and we're trying to figure out God? God is God. You cannot confine God to your own little box of human understanding. You say, well, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that I can't figure out God. I don't like the fact that God does this. Big deal. (laughs) If you don't like the fact that you can't figure him out, and you don't like the fact that God does things the way God does things, then you can leave his universe. 
Go start your own. Tell me how that's going to happen. God's God and he's in control. He's in charge. I promise you, in the vocabulary of God, there are two expressions that are not there. Oops and uh-oh. God is in control. You say, Pastor, what are we supposed to take from this today? What are we supposed to take from this today? I hope you walk out of this room today scratching your head and saying, God is so great. God is so awesome. I'm not going to figure him out. So you know what? I'll just accept him. I'll just love him. I'll just obey him. I'll just use my mouth to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because I can't wrap my mind around this. My goodness, the longer I study it, the muddier it gets. But God is God. He is perfect. You and I are not. We are imperfect. The very fact that he says, you call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. How about we echo that from the rooftops? Now I'm telling you, those who clapped about daylight saving time, you should have clapped on that one. Mm. You ever watched a movie or a television show over and over and over again? There are a couple of movies that I've seen numerous times. One, Hoosiers. I cannot tell you the number of times I've seen Hoosiers. Also, oh brother, where art thou? And I'm not saying watch these movies. Please hear me. I'm not saying watch these. Television show. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen full seasons of the Andy Griffith show. Over and over and over again. And, 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 you know, and we even have the DVDs at our house. We just don't have a DVD player. But used to when our kids were young and we would travel and we had those full, complete sets of the Andy Griffith show or, you know, after the hurricane when we didn't have antennas and we didn't, it wouldn't matter if we'd had an antenna anyway, right? And we didn't have cable and all that. We were watching these DVDs over and over. And I will sit there. My kids don't like to watch the Andy Griffith show, especially with me, because here's what I'll do. I'll quote what they're about to say. I know all the characters. I know what's coming next. Like you. I mean, you ever, you ever gone to a movie with someone who's seen the movie and they're saying out loud what the person on the screen is? Isn't that miserable? And I'll do that with the Andy Griffith show. And I'll even sit there and I'll say this. Oh, watch this. This is good. I'll turn to Jennifer and I'm like, oh man, you're not going to. I know, Stephen, I've seen it a hundred times. I know what's coming. You're not going to believe what's happening next. Oh, you're not going to believe what Andy is going to say. You're not going to believe how, how Barney's going to respond. Oh, this is classic. Look at Otis. We all have cousins like Otis, don't we? You're going to love the next part. Do, do you know what history is? History past and history future. History is his story. And God's the producer, and God's the writer, and God's the director, and God's the casting director. And, and, and if you were here Wednesday night, God's the fashion designer. And even with things that haven't happened yet, it's just like a movie that God has seen a thousand times. I've got a weird mind, but I can just imagine. 
I can just imagine God in heaven with the angels saying, oh, pay attention. You're not going to believe what's happening next. Oh, oh, oh listen, listen to this next one. This, I, know, I, know, I know all you angels thought that guy right there was too far gone, but pay attention. He's about to be miraculously saved. You're not going to believe the ending. I'm just saying this, friend. God's in control. Our job is not to figure God out. Our job is to accept Jesus and to love Jesus and to obey Jesus and to spread Jesus. Oh my goodness, my heart breaks and it always stirs among young people. When they get to a certain age, when they think they know everything, they think that all of a sudden as they're studying God's word, God has revealed something to them that all the patriarchs of the faith down through the ages missed and only they got. We've all been there. When you're in your 20s, you call it enlightenment. When you're in your 50s, you call it foolishness. You're not going to figure God out. But instead, by faith, I trust in you. By faith, I spread the gospel of Jesus. By faith, I obey. Because God... You know the movie before it ends. And you've got a great, great ending. Would you bow your heads with me today? Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Please hear me. Oh, please hear me. Based upon the very authority of the word of God, today, today, if you will call on the name of Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that he defeated the grave in death, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We don't even have to debate that. You will be saved. It's not my word. It's not my promise. It's his Right now, you're like, I feel like my heart's beating 100 miles an hour. Huh. I, I, I feel like, like, almost like God's got his hand around my heart and he's squeezing it, saying, you know you need to be saved. You know you need Jesus. You need a relationship with him. Oh, it doesn't have anything to do with what your family's done, how you were raised. No, 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 it has nothing to do with any of those things. It has everything to do with Jesus. That is called conviction. It's the convicting power of God. Would you respond to that today? Friend, I'm telling you, he'll forgive every sin. Even that, even that sin. The one that nobody knows about but you. He will forgive that. But it's a personal relationship with him. You are in him. He is in you. You walk with him and you talk with him. I mean, you, you spend time with him. There is evidence in your life that Jesus indeed is there.
Do you have that? Again, I go back to the two questions that I ask whenever I'm having a spiritual conversation. I say, what is your spiritual condition? And then I follow it up with this. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Right now in the quietness, the stillness of this moment is the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you. Could I invite you just to turn to him? Call out to Jesus. Surrender your life, your heart, your soul to him. There are others of us in this room and how easily it is for us to get so distracted by good things and by study and by, uh, I don't know, just pride and arrogance that we forget that God has chosen to get the gospel out to the world through us, the saved. I go back to what Paul wrote in the first three verses of Romans 9. He's like, I'm so burdened and broken over the fact that there are people in my life that are lost. I would give up my own salvation if they could be saved. Today, would you be willing to set aside your selfishness and say, God, break my heart. Break my heart. Use me so that others might be recipients of grace. Try as hard as we may, I promise you. We'll never figure this out. But we can't agree that God saves. That hope is found in Jesus. That he'll forgive and cleanse even the most broken and dirtiest heart. Oh God, may you speak during this time. May we be sensitive to the leadership and the direction of your Holy Spirit. God, only you can know what's happening in this room from heart to heart and individual to individual. And so God, now may your Holy Spirit roam this place. Oh God, may you speak. May you hold a mirror up to our hearts. And Jesus, may your name be honored and glorified through all that happens. You are the only one that can offer forgiveness. You're the only one that has authored salvation. Thank you that we're not left to our own. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www dot highland and it's h-i-l-a-n-d park.org there you'll learn more about what we believe what we teach about the gospel of jesus christ there'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years as always we would love to talk to you about your relationship with jesus christ so feel free shoot us an email info at highlandpark.org if you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him 
Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.